the elder, the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And I, and, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and be, will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands, as you have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. So when I was a kid growing up, uh, a time which my daughter likes to call the olden days, one of my favorite movies was uh, The Karate Kid. And uh, I'm talking about the original Karate Kid, not the new one with Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith, but the one with Pat Morita and Ralph Macchio. And it's a story about a a boy named Daniel LaRusso, and he moves from New Jersey to L.A. Uh, and he's a slightly awkward kid, uh, so he starts to get picked on, he starts to get bullied. And one day, Mr. Miyagi comes and rescues him from being uh, beaten up by a gang of, of youths. So from there, Danny asks Mr. Miyagi to become his uh, master or sensei and teach him how to do karate. But all that Mr. Miyagi gets Danny to do is paint the fence and do menial tasks like sand the floor and wax the car. And finally, when Danny gets annoyed at this, he confronts Mr. Miyagi and says, you haven't taught me anything. But then Mr. Miyagi shows him that everything he's been doing has been part of his training. It's been part of a way to, to teach him how to defend himself against attack. 
And I won't spoil it, but ultimately he does go on and fight in a tournament. You see, these seemingly unrelated, meaningless tasks taught Danny how to protect himself against attack. And in John 2, or 2 John, sorry, John wants his readers to guard themselves against deceivers that preach a false gospel of Jesus. And the way that they protect themselves is by obeying God's commands and loving one another. Seems odd, doesn't it? But this is what John calls walking in the truth. Loving others helps us guard against deceivers and antichrists. By walking in truth and love, we're actually protecting ourselves from deception and false teaching. And this is still very much an issue even today. So 2 John is the second of three letters we have from John. And as we heard before, John is known for writing the fourth gospel and also the book of Revelation. And last week, uh, I said that it's sometimes difficult or hard to to read these short letters because we don't have much um, background or context. And 2 John is no different. In fact, we're, we're given less of this information than we did in Philemon. There are no names mentioned. There are no places or events. So we can come to a letter like 2 John and, and think that it's just a personal letter written a long time ago on a specific issue and it doesn't apply to us. One commentary I read said that most churches could function a whole lifetime without 2 or 3 John in their Bibles and never miss their absence. Or like Philemon, I think 2 John has been preserved in the Bible because it's useful for teaching and other things, training today. So let's have a look at 2 John. The first thing I'd like to say is that when we read a Bible passage, it's a good habit to look for repeated ideas or repeated words. So here in the first six verses of 2 John, we've got the words, the truth, four times, and love, five times. So this is a strong indication that these are important themes to the rest of the letter. So in verses 1 to 3, John writes, The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Now, in our Bibles here, it, it, might, it says that the lady could be referring to a church. It could be a euphemism for a church, and the children are its members. But I don't think that that's explicit, so I'm going to refer to the lady and her children as, as individuals. But this truth that John writes about is the reason that John has love for them. And not just them, all the people who are in the truth have love for the lady and her children. Her children here could be physical children, or like Paul, calling Onesimus his son, he might refer to people that she led to faith in Jesus. And notice how the truth unites people together in love automatically. So, what is this truth? Well, to get an idea, I went back to the Gospel of John and 
and looked at what John thinks the truth is. And when I typed in a search these days, these days it's quite easy. You can type in searches. Uh, I typed in truth, and I came up with 23 references from the Gospel of John. Now, I won't go through all of them, but here are just a couple. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. And then in John 17, 17, Jesus is praying. He prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So, Jesus is the truth. And God's word is the truth. And truth obviously has the quality of being true. Something that is real and factual. Truth is something we can't change. Something we can't make up. And so when we look at these verses from John's Gospel, it's saying that God is trying to communicate the truth about himself through the person of Jesus and through his word in the Bible. The truth is, is that God is our creator. He's the creator of the universe and he's the rightful king of us. And that Jesus is the only way that we can be in relationship with God. Jesus said he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. Simply put, the truth is, in 2 John, is the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus showed us in his life, death, and resurrection. And this truth is the basis of the love that John shows for the lady and her children, and it's also the basis for the love that is shared amongst all who believe in the gospel. Similar to last week in Philemon, the truth of the gospel results in love for all other believers. Luke and Deb and Mike and Juliana are in Zimbabwe at the moment, as, as we've said, and they're providing resources and training and bringing gifts from this church to help the gospel over there to be taught. That's a great example of how Christians can show love to each other, even if we've never met or live thousands of kilometers away. The truth of the gospel is lived out by loving other people. Because if we believe in the gospel, then Jesus is our Lord, and we should do what he says. So if we say we believe in the gospel but don't love, maybe the truth isn't in us. In verses 4 to 6, John brings, it says that John is rejoices over what he hears about the lady and her children. Her children. So he writes, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am writing you not a new command, but one we have heard from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Walking in the truth means that they're showing love to one another, just as God has commanded. And this is not a new commandment, at least not to John and his readers. You know, he might have been thinking of the words of Jesus in John 13, 34 to 35, which says, A new command I give to you, love one another. 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But Jesus, but every, but this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When Jesus spoke these words, he was preparing his disciples for his impending death. So he commanded them to love one another. But commands to love others were already around since the time of Moses. For example, in Leviticus 19.18, it says, Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then in Leviticus 19.34, it says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Jesus' command was new for his disciples because Jesus was going to show them the ultimate example of loving others. He was going to die for them. So in this way, it was a new command for them to follow his example of love. But by the time that John writes it in 2 John, it's not a new command anymore, but one that they should have already known. It might seem like a a bit of a circular argument in verses 5 and 6, but the command singular to love one another is seen in obedience to all of God's commands, plural. All of the Old Testament laws are about loving God and loving others. So Jesus summarizes these two laws into two commands. He says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So to love others means obeying God's commands to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And when we treat Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we show that our faith is real and alive by our actions. Our outward actions show our inward convictions. Our outward actions show our inward convictions. So the truth is the good news that Jesus died for us, died for our sins, and that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled with God. And if we believe in that truth, it will be seen in our actions shown by loving others. So what might this actually look like in our church? Well, it looks like people preparing morning tea, making coffees, cleaning up after everyone's gone. That's God's people showing love to each other. It looks like giving money to support ministry or missions overseas, like in Zimbabwe or the Tulmans in the Congo. It might be making a meal for someone who's sick or who's just had a new baby or offering to babysit while parents can attend Bible study or even just run some errands. Sometimes loving others is pulling someone aside to point out something they're doing wrong. Every time I give a church talk, I have to build up the courage to ask Celia what she thought of it because she generally has something I can improve on and work on. I know she loves me and I know she wants to encourage me to be better, but it hurts sometimes. Mainly it hurts my pride. But it's criticism that's spoken in love to help benefit me and to help me teach the Bible better. 
As a doctor, I've seen patients involuntarily admitted to hospital to deal with mental health or drug issues. It's never an easy decision, but it's ultimately for the best. Love can hurt sometimes and be offensive, yet it can still be kind if it ultimately saves someone from unhealthy or destructive behavior. We correct the ones we love. So the command that John wants to remind us of is the command to love one another. And then John starts verses 7 to 11 with, I say this because. Giving them the reason to obey the command to love one another. Because he says, by doing what Jesus commands, they guard themselves against deceivers and false teachers. They guard themselves against a false gospel of Jesus when they live in love, when they love one another, when they obey God's commands to love. John speaks in this letter about a specific issue in verse 7, and that are people are denying that Jesus came in the flesh. I think that most, if not all, modern historians these days acknowledge at least that Jesus was a historical person, even if they don't believe in God. But John views anyone that denies such a truth as the deceiver and the antichrist at the end of verse 7. They are like the devil, opposed to God. And in verse 8, John shows that the Christian life requires work and effort. He says, Watch out that you don't lose what we've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. The what we have worked for could be a corporate we, as in all followers of Jesus. Or it could be that John was involved in bringing the the readers to Christ and he doesn't want them to squander his work. Regardless, it's that he wants them to hold on to this faith and gain the full reward for their effort. In this specific situation, John is addressing Uh, In verse 9, it seems that these deceivers were actually former church members who have gone out, but who think that their thinking has advanced to understand new things about Jesus. Again, today, we see that some churches teach a different gospel, a different Jesus than what the Bible actually teaches. Over uh, a decade ago, there was a worldwide bestseller called The Da Vinci Code, written by Dan Brown. I have to admit that it was a really entertaining read. I have to also admit that I never finished the book, and I just watched the movie instead. (laughs) Uh, But in the book, one of the theories was that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, and that they had a son. And this was loosely or partly based on an actual tomb found in Jerusalem in 1980. Uh, and as far-fetched as it seems, some people took it to extremes, and the, the Discovery Channel uh, actually released a documentary on it in 2007. You know, I pray we'll never hear anything like that preached from the pulpits in our churches, but there might be more subtle deceptions, like saying that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, so he would never condemn their lifestyles. After all, Jesus was all about love, right? Well, yes, he was. But he called people to repent and turn from their sin. 
and warn them about eternal judgment. Another one might be that Jesus wants to bless me right here, right now, so I can serve God and money. Well, Jesus himself says that that's not possible. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus warns it's harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. God might say, you fool, this very night you will die. And then what use will your money be? Today, a lot of people want to reimagine Jesus to fit into our society, to think that Jesus was against sleeping with your partner before you get married or against getting smashed on the weekend. Well, that would make him old-fashioned and out of date and a killjoy. To say that Jesus actually upheld marriages only between a man and a woman would make him a bigot. And we can't have Jesus looking like a bigot, can we? So we modify Jesus to suit us. There'll always be pressure to mold Jesus into someone of our own thinking instead of accepting the Jesus of the Bible, accepting Jesus as the King and the Saviour. But John encourages we need to stick to the truth of what the Bible teaches because if we do this, we'll be able to guard against deceivers and antichrists. How can we love others like Jesus? As Lyndall said, it seems like an unattainable goal. And in a way it is. But it's a standard we should try and emulate. So what might that look like? Well, some people give up good jobs or a comfortable lifestyle to head overseas and share the gospel with people who have never heard it. We love others by telling them the gospel. And by showing, by example, how we live for God. Sometimes the cost is uh, feeling embarrassed in front of our workmate, in front of our workmates or school uh, colleagues, work colleagues or schoolmates, um, and we might get excluded from from groups or social outings. In this day and age, you might get abused online, called names, even threatened. But we show love to non-believers by sharing the gospel with them, no matter what the cost to us. Like with Philemon and Onesimus, we show love when we forgive and reconcile with others. The gospel is a model of reconciliation to God, and so we should reconcile with others where possible. This might cost us our pride. We love others when we serve at church, whether at morning tea or leading Bible study or playing music or welcoming or helping with Pupil Free Day or doing a kids' talk or teaching SRE. That costs us time. Maybe it costs us money if we prioritize church commitments over work. And we love others by reminding each other about what God has done for us through Jesus. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to bring us back into a relationship with God. If we see others straying from that, others not walking in the truth, love compels us to speak up and correct them. If I've said anything today that you don't agree with, please come and speak to me afterwards. I truly want to, fe- uh, I truly want to hear your honest feedback. 
I mean, Celia's going to give it to me anyway, so you can too. But that would be you showing love to me. Jesus says, obeying God's command to love one another is a way to exercise our faith and guard us from deceivers and false gospels. Just like Danny LaRusso, painting the fence or waxing the car, we're actually learning how to defend ourselves from attack without even realizing. Because we show that we understand who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. In obeying his commands to love one another, we ensure that we're walking in the truth and in doing so protect ourselves from walking away from the truth. 